0: It's Friday night. You're tuned into Tisky Sour and we are talking about some seriously big news this evening. We have elections across the UK. We're mainly going to be talking about England today because that's where the results have come in um, thickest and fastest. And so far, it's looking very, very bad for Keir Starmer. We're going to go through the results. We're going to talk about the reactions. Long story short, Keir Starmer saying, I take full responsibility while blaming everyone but himself. We're going to dissect that nonsense, which we've heard from everyone on the front bench today, and there is no one I would rather go through um, discussing this political roller coaster than Aaron Bastani. How are you doing, Aaron? Michael, it's so good to be joining you this evening. I wouldn't rather be sharing
1: the show with anybody else myself, so this is a match made in heaven.
0: I mean, I, I think there's probably lots of people who have been watching the television today who have been screaming at it because we've heard so much poor analysis from people, you know, adopting motivated reasoning. So we're going to cut through some of that crap. Now, given the polling beforehand, many people expected Labour to lose Hartlepool, but no one really, and um, the team expected them to lose quite as badly as they actually did. Um, so it was a stomping majority for the Conservatives. Jill Mortimer got 51.9% of the vote. That was up 23 percentage points from 2019. Labour, 28.7% of the vote. So down nine percentage points from twenty. 19. Now labor losing vote share there is super significant because people were saying oh if labor loses the seat you can't make any strong judgments because basically that's just the uh, the brexit party vote collapsing and going to the conservatives it's nothing to do with labor. Very very hard to make that argument if labor have actually gone back in terms of vote share. That's why we've seen different arguments today than we would seen earlier in the week. Earlier in the week, we saw the arguments, oh, this was always going to go to the Conservatives because of the Brexit party vote collapsing. Now they're having to say, oh, the reason Labour have gone down in vote share is because of X, Y, Z, Corbyn. We'll we'll go for all these. I don't want to preempt it. First of all, let's take a look at the Conservative candidate who has won, who's obviously um, jubilant. Here she is. It's Jill Mortimer after the results were announced.
2: I'm incredibly proud of the campaign my team and I have run in Hartlepool. Um, it, it's based on local issues of real concern to the community here. Um, and I would like to thank all of the people of this great town who've responded so positively to it. I'm also immensely proud to be the first Conservative MP in Hartlepool for 57 years. Um, not only that, I am the first woman ever to be elected as MP for this town. (laughs) It's a truly historic result and a momentous day. Labour have taken people in Hartlepool for granted for too long. Um, I heard this time and time again on the doorstep. People have had enough. And now, through this result, the people have spoken... And they've made it clear it's time for change.
0: Now, Aaron, it is pretty extraordinary there. That the Conservatives have been in power for 11 years. They've just won a by-election and their candidate on winning it is saying it's clear. This vote for the governing party after them being in government for 11 years is a vote for change. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. What's, what's, what's your big picture take and with the result we saw in Hartlepool?
1: Well, there's a big picture and there's a small picture, Michael. And so I think on the one hand, yeah, you want to talk about the big sociological trends. You want to talk about the sort of the the politics of how the Tories are seen by many people as effectively a new government since Boris Johnson uh, came to power in the middle of 2019. So they aren't looking at an 11-year government; they're looking at a two-year government. But they've got lots of basics really badly wrong, and I think it's really important to say that before talking about the big stuff. They picked a terrible candidate. They parachuted in a Remainer not from the seat, and that really upset people. I'm not saying Labour would have won it with somebody else, but that was entirely avoidable. What were they in control of? The candidate. The timing. They decided to do this at the exact same time as the Teesside mayoral race, which, as we've seen, has been an incredible success for the Tories, the candidate up there for the Tories, the incumbent, Ben Houchin, very popular. He's a Tory who took the local airport into public ownership. I think he won by 73 to 27. They held this by-election on the same day as all these other elections to save money. Again, entirely avoidable. And that's that's really worked against them because it allowed the Tories to tell a story about Hartlepool compared to what, with a Labour MP, compared to what's going on with the with the Teesside mayor and, and, and Ben Houchin. So those are two really avoidable things. And then you look at the run-up into these elections just generally, which also applies to Hartlepool. You lay off 90 members of staff before an election. Are they really going to be motivated? No. You lay off the community organising team, which we know played a seismic role in keeping, uh, I think it was Lincoln and Peter Brasori in a by-election, a really critical by-election in 2019. You lay them off. And of course, the, the members who've been so important in terms of canvassing operations and so on. You basically demobilize them, tell them you actively don't want them in the party. So all of that stuff was in Labour's control. The margin never had to be like this. I personally thought the Tories were going to win it, but not like this. I mean, my God, they almost got double the Labour vote in Hartlepool. This was a place, yes, it was a marginal, but the Labour majority was three, three and a half thousand last time. And by the way, they got 52% of the vote as recently as 2017. So the idea that this was inevitable, that somehow it was inevitable, the Tories were going to get double the Labour vote, completely ridiculous. And it's a a synthesis of those shorter term issues. Terrible leadership by Keir Starmer, terrible decisions by his office. The candidate was picked by uh, Jenny Chapman, uh, Keir Starmer's political advisor. She was the MP for Darlington. Darlington voted massively to leave. She's got such political now, she decided to be for a second referendum. Guess what? She lost her seat. Just like Paul Williams was for a second referendum and a leave seat in Stockton, he lost his seat. So then, because this is a Labour Party under Keir Starmer, Jenny Chapman, the loser who made the wrong call, picks Paul Williams, the loser who made the wrong call, to be a candidate in somewhere that voted 70% leave. I can't imagine a more ridiculous set of circumstances. So we could talk about the sociology, we can talk about the changing nature of demographics and property ownership and all that, and it's all valid. But All of the stuff I've just listed was eminently, eminently avoidable. And I think it it betrays a Labour leadership, which I think is unprecedented in both its incompetence and its misunderstanding of how competent it is. Keir Starmer is a fundamentally useless, vacuous politician surrounded by useless advisors, and they really think they are the dog's bollocks. They had this coming, and believe me, it can get a lot worse.
0: I've got no doubt it can get a lot worse. Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, you very erudite, you put there the case for why this is Keir Starmer's fault. Um, obviously, frontbench politicians were out on the airwaves this morning, desperately trying to plead that no, it wasn't Keir Starmer's fault. The the fault lies elsewhere. Um, let's take a look at Steve Reed explaining the catastrophic results on Radio 4 this morning.
3: There's no hiding from the fact this is a shattering Result for Labour, absolutely shattering, and uh, for for a town like Hartlepool, that's been Labour for the. Know, half a century to now be in conservative hands is heartbreaking uh, for anybody uh, who who is who is Labour, and it it tells us that the pace of change in the Labour Party um, has not been fast enough. We need to quicken it up. We need to speed it up. We have a breach of trust between too much of the British electorate and the Labour Party, and we haven't done enough to uh, repair it over this past year.
4: Well, that couldn't be clearer. You're not making excuses.
3: You're saying that Keir Starmer will go faster, but what does that mean, faster? to Walt. Well, there's. I mean, at the the last general election eighteen months ago. Now we suffered our worst defeat for um, for eighty five years. People simply no longer trusted the Labour Party to to do the things that we said we would do. But I think there was a there was almost a a, a breakdown in relationships with the Labour Party. They they no longer believed that we were caring about them. We were inward looking. We were backward looking. We weren't focused on the future. We weren't focused on uh, on aspiration. The the what Keir described as a mountain that we had to climb, that was absolutely the right uh, the right way to describe it.
0: No, I mean, we could have predicted that's what they were going to come out and say, but it's still, I mean, shocking to see it happening. He said, the pace of change has not been fast enough. The explanation for why they've gone backwards, because on every metric they've gone backwards in Hartlepool, is that the pace of change has not been fast enough. What we should have done is just what we were doing, but more, faster, quicker. We should have rejected Corbynism and expelled him a month before we did, right? Now, these arguments might have worked if Labour increased their vote share but lost the seat because more of the Brexit party vote went to the Conservatives and went to Labour. You could, I mean, I still don't think it would be a particularly strong argument, but you could plausibly go out with a straight face on national television and national broadcast and say, look, we're going in the right direction, we've increased the vote share, we just need to move faster so that we can win these difficult seats. That argument does not work when you've gone backwards on every metric. Uh, They've lost nine percentage points compared to when Corbyn was leader in that disastrous election, as they love to call it. No one's pretending it wasn't disastrous, by the way. But what we're saying is you can't say we're building on that when you're doing worse than that on every metric. The other thing that, I mean, really frustrated me about what he said there, and this will be, again, something that we, we find in most of the Labour front benches, including the leader him, himself, come out with, is they say, the problem is the party is too inward looking and stuck in the past. Then the only thing they talk about is previous Labour leaders. So we're too, too inward looking. We're too stuck in the past. Um, and essentially this is because of Jeremy Corbyn. Now, Jeremy Corbyn is a member of the Labour Party. I know no, no, he's not an MP anymore, he's a member of the Labour Party. Talking about him is inward looking and talking about a previous leader. Is stuck in the past, right? If you think you're too inward looking and too stuck in the past, then tell us something about the future, which is exactly what no one on the Labour front bench, including including Steve Reed, is able to do. And I want to go straight on to a tweet from Wes Streeting, who's also a shadow minister from the same wing of the party. He took a very similar line. To Steve Reid. He said, I'm so sorry for Paul Williams, Labour, and the brilliant team who've been slogging their guts out in Hartlepool in recent weeks. Our leadership has changed for the better, but the voters aren't convinced that Labour has too. This is a huge and urgent task. Keir gets it, so must we. So his argument there is our leadership has changed for the better. Keir Starmer, he's doing great, he's changed for the better, but he's being dragged down by the party which he inherited. Again, this would work if they'd increased their vote share slightly, but still lost the seat. It doesn't work when you've gone backwards on every metric. They obviously preferred Labour under Jeremy Corbyn than Labour under Keir Starmer. That's why less of them voted for Labour. I'm talking about Hartley Paul constituents here. One more, um, I suppose, evidence of this delusion, although it's not really delusion, it's it's malicious, isn't it, is a briefing to Liz Bates, who is political correspondent at Channel 4 News. Um, So she tweets, Labour source... Just because we have stopped pissing in the bath doesn't mean people want to jump in with us straight away. Less people want to jump in the bath with you. Like, how how dense do you have to get? Less people want to get in the bath because you're pissing more than the previous guys. Well,
1: Labour have stopped pissing in the bath and they've started shitting and vomiting it instead. (laughs) Look at the results across England. Not in Wales, by the way. We'll talk about that later. Wales, very different. These are delusional sycophants, my God. I know they had their lines prepared ahead of time, but come on, you have to have a little bit of elasticity. They're like comedians. This is like, you, you couldn't come up with a satire or a sort of sketch show taking the piss out of these people and make it any funnier than this. Obviously we're looking, by the way, at a horrendous set of results. It gives me absolutely no happiness to say any of this. But the response was, watching it to that, particularly Steve Reed, was genuinely funny. I thought, who the hell is this guy? Who the hell is this guy? He's got a majority of, I think, more than ten thousand. Imagine if you're an MP with a majority of like 1,500, 2,000. hundred, two thousand. You're thinking Christ. And they are, by the way, having second thoughts about Starmer. They, I'm going to lose my seat with this guy. And then Steve Reed is saying that they look. They think exactly the same thing we do, Michael. They're not, you know, they're not. Well, a lot of them are morons, but not all of them. You know, and they'll be saying Steve Reed is delusional. Come on, this is like so spectacularly obvious. Stop it. We can have a really interesting conversation about, you know, is Anasawa better than um, Richard Leonard in Scotland? You know, I, th- I think he's probably doing a better job. Yeah, this is not a factional thing. Let's be empiricists. Let's observe what's happening. Come on, you look absurd. Stop doing it. Stop shitting and 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 vomiting in the bath.
0: Let's look at the the vote share in. Well, actually, this is the, to- the absolute votes actually in, in Pool over time because we're, the, the message we're being sold is that they're clearing up Jeremy Corbyn's mess. Let's look at how it has changed over time. Super interesting graph was tweeted today. Um, so from this, you can see that from 1950 to, to, to 1997, in almost every election, the party got over 25,000 votes. It's between 1997 and 2004 that that completely plummets. Obviously slightly lower than usual because it's a by-election, so it's slightly lower turnout. Um, but you can see it's plummeting, plummeting, plummeting. Goes up for one blip. That blip is 2017 when Jeremy Corbyn was leader. Then it goes down in 2019 to still slightly above what it was in 2015, by the way. And then it's under Starmer that it plummets to under 10,000. So the idea that they're cleaning up Jeremy Corbyn's mess. Jeremy Corbyn was the one thing in the past 30 years that seemed pos- seemed able to stop secular decline in Hartlepool. So it's completely, completely ahistorical. And I'm not saying that as someone who I think, you know, I, think, I don't think Jeremy Corbyn's leadership was perfect, but you can't say um, that they're clearing up his mess in Hartlepool. Michael, it's can just, I say one quick thing? not empirical. Yes.
1: I'll be really super quick. Michael, Labour aren't going to get 40% of the vote in the next general election in 2024, which will mean that the 2017 general election was the best set of results for Labour in 23 years. And this is the one set of results the entire parliamentary Labour Party refuses to look at. They refuse to look at. And as long as they refuse to look at it, as I've said time and time again, they will continue to lose seats. The one upsurge, like you say, is the thing they don't want to talk about. And and Harleypool, by the way, like you say, Harleypool Labour kept, forget Corbyn. Labour kept this when Brexit was a live issue. It voted 70% leave. Yes, of course, there was a Brexit party and so on, but they still got a much larger vote than they've just got today with Keir Starmer when Brexit was, was still an issue, right? I think they got, what, 14,000 votes in the last election? They just got 8,000-something votes? Yes, I know it's a by-election turnout slightly lower, but Brexit was still a massive issue. Come on. Anyway, enough about Hartlepool. Just this bullshit's not going to work. Steve Reed, where's Streeting. Stop humiliating yourselves like this in public.
0: Chris Hill with 50 quid. Do you guys think the Labour Party can be salvaged or is it time to move on and form a true socialist party? Um, and I'm going to combine that with Mo Siddon with a fiver who says, appreciate all the work Navarro does. Considering how Labour is so disappointing, what would you suggest people do to try and make change? OK, so do we need
1: a new party? Look, there are three Labour leaders effectively. There's many more. There's, there's four or five there's Mark Drakeford. It looks like Labour have had a pretty good day in Wales. There's Scotland. Labour have gone backwards, but it's you know th- th- there is clearly a tide now for independence in Scotland, and the left is also a part of that conversation. So I think it's kind of an, in its own on its own trajectory. You've got Andy Burnham. Let's see, but it, it looks promising. You've got Sadiq Khan. Looks terrible, but he's still going to he's still going to win. You've got Salford. It looks like it's going to be a good night for the mayor of Salford. It looks like it's going to be a good night for uh, Preston Council. There are socialists in some very strange places being elected against the odds as councillors. And so, yes, there are there, there are some good stories here. Mark Drakeford, Mark Drakeford I think, is, is the outstanding story here. Let's see how it works out for Labour. It looks like vote vote's turnout's gone up and Labour's share of the vote's gone up. Um, I mean, maybe we can talk about that shortly. So it's particularly in England. It's particularly in the north uh, and the midlands of England where... Labour are doing terribly, particularly the Midlands. So, for instance, in Newcastle, I don't think there's a single Tory on the council. Even in Sunderland, yes, Labour are losing councillors, but the Lib Dems are the variable. In the Midlands, it looks like we're seeing a real clean out by the Tories in lots of places. Also in the North too, but of course that was the story of the the Red Wall and so on. So I think it's a really complex picture. I don't think people should be down because I think there's also socialists being elected on a on a message of hope. And I think there's actually gonna be some really impressive stories coming out over the next couple of days with specific councils. So don't give up and don't say, well, it's because of a a left-wing message. Keir Starmer fought this campaign. He was targeting the Red Wall. He said this was all that mattered and he focused on beer and flags and he's been smashed. That's the conclusion. That's the conclusion here. And so it it tells us that genre of politics where you say the media matters more than activists, where you say that no message doesn't matter if you've got a guy who can wear a suit and has a nice head of hair. We know that's been found out. And I actually have to to say, Michael, I think we're looking at the worst set of results ever for the Labour Party in England in one day in terms of the historic context. I think this is the worst possible outcome. Does that mean you need a new party? I don't think it does. We can have that conversation, but I don't think that's the priority by a long stretch of the imagination. My God, Keir Starmer beat the left. Keir Starmer became leader of the Labour Party. Do you think the Labour left is capable of doing much right now? No, it's got some very talented people, but it clearly needs to reformulate, reorganize, and and try and now set the agenda over the next five, 10 years. Beyond electoralism, to answer the second question, there's so much that we can do. Get involved at a local level. If if you are a Labour member, run run as a councillor. Like I say, there's going to be some amazing stories of local activism winning. The Tories have prevailed in so many places on the basis of deep organising, organising in communities, uh, around particular issues on a hyper-local basis. That's exactly what the left needs to do in the workplace, but also beyond it as well. And it's doing it to some extent, but it clearly needs to grow on that. And I think I'll finish with this. We now need a new generation of socialist leadership in this country, particularly in England, uh, both within the Labour Party, beyond it, in the Labour movement, culturally, in communities... That's got to be the task now. So I'd say the fundamental question when you're doing your activism is, am I helping build a new generation of socialist leadership, particularly in English politics? Uh, Keir Starmer clearly ain't doing that.
0: Are you? Very well put some, some very astute questions. Um, we're going to go straight on to Keir Starmer himself. Keir Starmer took a few hours to break his silence after Labour's catastrophic defeat in Hartlepool was announced. However, he clearly didn't spend that time preparing anything concrete to say. Here he is looking pretty irritated and saying nothing of substance on the BBC.
5: This is not a question of left or right. It's a question of whether we're facing the country. We have changed as a party, but we've not made a strong enough case to the country. We've lost that connection, that trust, and I intend to rebuild that and do whatever is necessary rebuild that trust. But what does change mean in, say, policy terms? It means stopping as a party, quarrelling amongst ourselves, looking internally and facing the country and setting out that bold vision for a better Britain and changing the things that that need changing. What is that vision? That is the change that I will bring about. Uh,
0: Len McCluskey, United General Secretary, says people don't know what you stand for. What is that vision?
5: Our vision is of a country that ends the injustice and inequality that millions of people face every day. But fundamentally, we have to show that we are facing the country, that we've learned the lessons of this bitterly disappointing set of results.
0: You say you take personal responsibility for the results. Are you up to the job of Labour Party leader?
5: Yes, and I intend not only to take responsibility for the results, but to take responsibility for fixing Things. Um, and I will set out what change is needed over the next few days, but I'm absolutely clear in my mind and absolutely determined to do whatever is necessary uh, to fix things and to make sure we can make that case to the country in a compelling way.
0: What are you going to change over the next few days? What are you referring to?
5: I will set out what we need to do to reconnect the Labour Party to the voters that have cast their verdict on us last night, particularly in places like Hartlepool. We have changed as a party. We have changed as a party, but we need to go further and we need to set out that strong case to the country. We have not done that. So
0: you're going to set out a new policy agenda, is that what you're saying?
5: I am going to set out a strong case to the country, learn the lessons uh, of of the elections that have come in so far, um, and accept that we must reconnect and rebuild trust with working people, particularly in places like Hartlepool.
0: Can you give us any sorry, indication of what it is you're going to well, be Well, I'm not going to set
5: out a policy agenda uh, in this interview, but I'm going to uh, set out how we reconnect and rebuild that trust.
0: He's like a parody of himself, like a parody of a politician who believes in absolutely nothing. So we say, we're going to change. She's asked, what does change mean? Oh, we're going to stop s- squabbling. We're going to set out a bold vision. Well, what is that bold vision? Our vision is to face the country. We're going to face the country and stop talking about ourselves. So what are you going to, what are you going to do? What are you going to change? Well, I'll reconnect with the voters we lost, but how? I mean, what? What? how are you going to appeal to them? I'll look outwards instead of looking inwards, twirling, twirling all the time. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. She says, well, do you have any policies? Well, I'm not going to t- tell you my policies on the television. Why would I tell you my policies here on the television? That would be a ridiculous thing to do. Well, did you watch the end of it?
1: I mean, we don't have the end of the clip, but basically she's kind of like, well, we're obviously not going anywhere. She, you know, she audibly says this and she's just like, should we just finish there? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's just like, this guy's a clown. And the BBC, they are quite deferential to politicians, even with Jeremy Corbyn. You wouldn't hear that on air, really. And it's, it's, a, it's a knight of the realm. You know, they're meant to be like, we are not worthy. And she's just like, you're, you're clearly an idiot. And also where, he, where, where this was taking place, Michael, Keir Starmer, and by the way, being a human rights lawyer, perfectly fine thing, living in London, perfectly fine thing. But th- these are the sort of political cliches. Keir Starmer, Remainer, sir, establishment, London, human rights lawyer, lives in zone one, completely out of touch with the rest of the country. Where does he do the interview? In the House of Parliament. What's behind him? some some parliamentary you know uh some folios of various parliamentary nonsense and you know data and whatnot what where, where's boris johnson boris johnson is in hartlepool next to a ship hundreds of years old talking to people thumbs up face mask on who's more relatable michael keir starmer has no policy no idea no organizational competence and, and worst of all, I think actually, in a, in a, particularly in a, we, are, we do live in an era of populism. I'm sorry for the hashtag FBPE crowd You don't want to admit that, but we are. He is so unlikable. I've said this repeatedly. Nobody watches that guy and thinks, oh, I'm really rooting for him. And people might not, some people might not look like Corbyn. A lot of people had that feeling with Jeremy Corbyn. I'm really rooting for him. Yeah, go on. You know, at least he knows what he believes in. Nobody could say this about Keir Starmer. He's a non-entity who is who is so dislikable immediately. And I think the fact that he was doing that interview in what was, you know, the aesthetics of it were just so politically distant from what was happening in Hartlepool. That, that dissonance between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer embodied so much for me. And it just shows, actually, Keir Starmer, the grown-ups are back in charge. Well, you know what? A media professional wouldn't be doing that interview there. So not only is Keir Starmer not good enough, but nor are the
0: people around him he's been Labour leader for a year and presumably he wanted to be Labour leader for a while before he stood to be Labour leader. We know it was a very well-prepared leadership campaign. Yet anytime he, or indeed anyone else in the party, is asked, what's your vision? Very basic question actually for a politician. It's It's not a question really intended to catch people out or it shouldn't be. He looks terrified. Our vision is to look out to the country. Our vision is to change the party. I mean, that's These are like subheadings. It's like subheadings of a strategy you could have, but they still haven't filled in the box. Uh, To be in that job for over a year and not have anything to say to that question, I just find it difficult to fathom, it just, seems, it, it just seems like gross negligence, gross incompetence from people who are presumably on quite good salaries. I mean, I suppose maybe you can't come up with a vision if you don't believe in anything. I, I suppose that's probably the, the easiest explanation for what's going on here. They're asking Starmer, what do you believe in? He says, I believe in having values. I believe in believing things. I believe in uh, showing the party that I, showing the country that I believe in something. It's like, well, what do you believe? It's like, I'm not telling you that. I'm not, not giving that away. Completely bizarre yeah there's a the whole thing about like, rather than saying, you know, p-
1: people with values, if you have values, it's about being honest. How, how do I know you're honest? It's because you act with honesty, you know or, or, or you're generous. You, there are actions that you express, which are they distill the, the idea of you know generosity. Here okay, someone's like, I have values. I am electable." And you see this nonsense coming out by the way, from Steve Reed West Street and all sorts of people. We've become more electable. The, the electorate just don't know it yet, right? But, you know, you've got this complete detachment from these words and what they actually mean. This is like political Dadaism. This is like if Pablo Picasso was trying to create a politician. You know, it's like the Guernica. One horse's head going this way and that going this way and the whole thing's just a complete mess. You know, it's, it's, it's non-representational. None of it's actually meant to make any sense. It's not meant to look like the real world. That's what Keir Starmer interviews increasingly look like.
0: You, you mentioned um, Boris Johnson choosing a, a better spot for his um, you know, national broadcast than Keir Starmer. We do have that um, for you, so let's take a look. This is Boris Johnson in Hartlepool with the town's new Tory MP, Jill Mortimer.
6: Uh, a massive thank you, uh, to first of all, to the people of Hartlepool for placing their confidence in uh, us, in the Conservatives. I congratulate Jill on a fantastic campaign. I think that she's uh, a, a been a wonderful candidate and fought uh, very very hard for, for every vote and I think she'll be a wonderful MP and for me what this means is that uh, I think that it's a it's a mandate for us to continue to to deliver uh, for not just for the people of Hartlepool not just for the people of the of the northeast but across the whole of the, of the country and I think if there's a lesson out of this whole election campaign the whole election local election campaign across the whole of the uk uh, it's that the public want politicians to get on uh, with focusing on on their needs and their priorities so coming through the pandemic uh, and making sure that we then build back better and we you can see some of the evidence of economic uh, confidence that uh, the bank of england's been talking about that the prospect of a really strong uh, rebound in the second half of the year I think people want us to focus on that and uh, I think that here in Hartlepool uh, clearly people were uh, uh, this is a place that voted for Brexit uh, and we got Brexit done and then we're able to do other things thanks to that.
0: As Aaron said, very importantly, he didn't do that speech from Parliament. He went to Harlepool. He's doing it in front of like a historic ship. There's sort of some some narrative there. You can hear the seagulls. It just seems less miserable. Obviously, it's easier when you've won to do that. TV interview than it is if you've lost but I, I suppose what really stuck out from me there is the thing Boris Johnson didn't say is ah oh, yes the reason we won is because we're looking outwards the reason we won is because we have values the reason we won is because we have a vision no he actually he actually filled out the blanks so he said people like it when when things are delivered like we delivered Brexit like we got people through the pandemic now we've got free ports in Hollywood I mean free ports are a terrible idea by the way but at least you're you're naming something. You're saying something. There was some content there. And Keir Starmer has, you know, nothing in response to that. I mean, why would you vote for the guy who's telling you I have values than the person who's saying I've actually done these things? Not I've done things. I've done these things. Uh, that, you know, it, 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 it's, it's concrete. It's real. You feel like the guy is not actually terrified when he's speaking to a camera because he has something. My, Michael,
1: you know, I think you're being very unfair to Keir Starmer, Michael. He did do something last week do you remember what it was?
0: He went <laughs> oh, to John Lewis. God,
1: yeah, He went to John Lewis and looked at curtains, didn't he? He went to, no, no, wallpaper. Wallpaper. He number. went to John Lewis and was talking about wallpaper. And, and look, by the way, compare how Keir Starmer has received in the, you know, Prime Minister's questions, which, by the way, nobody watches. Nobody watches Prime Minister's questions. Very interesting. Yep, you can land a blur. It might, it, every six months, it might get on this news. Great. But on an everyday basis, granular detail. Nobody cares. Keir Starmer is there. But the hashtags or the or the second referendum people, fantastic. He, this is forensic. People seem to think that he said things which mean Boris Johnson's gonna go to prison, he's gonna resign, I don't know. You know, this kind of strange. They think that politics is like a, tr- a true crime podcast. Oh, that we're gonna get some sort of Robert Mueller figure to arrest you know, Boris Johnson, wheel him off to, you know, Pentonville prison. That's not gonna happen, by the way. This is the reality. People haven't got huge asks from politicians. They want you to solve, that you want them to solve problems. And they don't want you to create any new ones. That's it. And they saw Brexit as a problem. You might disagree with that, but they thought Britain being in the EU was a problem. Enough people had thought that was a problem. There was a referendum. It became a wedge issue. Boris Johnson appears. Again, we can have that conversation. Maybe there's going to be major implications going forward. But right now, it looks like the Tories have they've solved that problem. The vaccines, looks like they solved that problem. Furlough, looks like they solved that problem. Now, of course, it's easier for governments to to, to pitch themselves up. There are many things they haven't solved. 120,000 people have died. And people are saying, well, you know, Boris Johnson, he's associated with getting things done. Yes, because Labour don't talk about the things he hasn't done. Of course, Keir Starmer is the biggest asset to Boris Johnson and the Tories right now. I said this the day that Jeremy Corbyn was suspended from the Labour Party. Keir Starmer is, this guy is like the wingman for Boris Johnson in 2021. He's like goose to Maverick in Top Gun.
0: That, that idea of Labour's strategy being to say the Tories are actually doing quite well, we're going to go into a bit more detail in a moment because I think it's super important. I think it is probably one of the biggest failings from the Labour front bench over the past year. Them saying, oh, the reason the Tories are doing well is because they're brilliant, essentially. But we're going to park that because we've got a great clip for you on that on that point. What I want to go through now is some more of the results which have come through. We've mainly focused on, on Hartlepool so far. Um, obviously, there are many more results which we already know. And the first one we go to, this was pretty dramatic, is Tees Valley. So the Tees Valley um, metro region had an election for their mayor and the Tory incumbent was re-elected with a dramatically increased majority. Um, so Houchen um, has 73% um, to 27% for the Labour Party. Um, and you can see there the Conservatives are up 33%, Labour are down 12%. I think it was 51-49 or 52-48. It's now 73-27. That is massive. You know, th- th- You know, that's an absolute wipeout. I mean, Aaron. Again, we knew that the Tories were going to keep this, but did you think it was going to be by such? A, a, I mean, a huge margin.
1: I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea, Michael. And it's a shame because Labour had a good candidate. But uh, I, I, it was it was obvious. It was obvious about the trends. But you know, we, we were told because there was such a high. I and mean, ultimately, I had people yesterday, Michael, saying to me, particularly in the West Midlands, turnout's really low. It's going to be really hard to predict what's going on with the West Midlands mayor. Turns out, actually, it was, it was pretty high. The problem was that there was actually a deluge of postal ballots, far higher than people thought. Originally, they thought postal ballots were maybe up 10 15% from what people were saying on doors, but actually it was far higher than that. Uh, and so that's why I think some of the prediction here has been really, really difficult. What I would say, Michael, is if you look at the national opinion polls, a lot of that is is clearly way, way off. Clearly, right? These polls are shown Labour are just one point behind the Tories. Nah even the polls that are showing labor 10 points behind the tories are looking quite optimistic right now
0: you know well, that's what this i mean the the polls oh. were very good for ben houchin but i mean the reality was was yeah the national um, no no of course so no okay so we
1: we there was a story which is labor catching in the polls maybe they're doing poorly in the in the red wall but they're doing better in the south and other parts of the country well the results don't seem they don't seem to bear that out you know they're doing better in scotland they're not done terribly in scotland but the, the results don't seem to bear that out so You know, we had something before Jeremy Corbyn, which was called the shy Tory. People told opinion polls, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote Labour because they felt, you know, shy about being a Tory. Jeremy Corbyn comes in. People don't feel shy about saying I hate... Uh, Jeremy Corbyn he's a you know socialist I don't want anybody like that anywhere near number 10 Downing Street so the idea of the shy Tory goes away and actually polling becomes a bit a bit more accurate if anything it starts to understate what what Labour's performance was I think we've gone back to the shy Tory I genuinely think even the polls that put the Tories 10 points ahead of Labour nationally I don't think that's accurate I think we're looking at devastation right now for Labour I think if there was a general election now Labour would be looking at under 30 percent like like 2010 28 29 percent like with Gordon Brown maybe lower who knows
0: it looks a bit more like 2015 in the sense that labor were actually polling quite reasonably but then in i mean especially you know small c socially conservative seats you know labor were were routed so they', they massively underperformed the, the the polls um let's go through the English local elections in some detail we have an update from you so on the latest counts. Um, the conservatives are up 157 councillors. Labour are down 169 councillors. Um, the liberal democrats are down 18 and the greens are up 34. Now, when it comes to control of councils and um, the conservatives have gained control of eight councils and labour have lost control of four. Um, let's go through in some granular detail, some of the key councils which have switched control. Um, so one of the big stories here is labour being, I mean, almost. Not, not wiped out, but Labour having a terrible um, night in the West Midlands. This was obviously strongly um, Leave voting, was once upon a time fairly strongly Labour voting. Not anymore. And we'll start with Dudley. So in Dudley, um, the Conservatives gained 12 seats um, and Labour a down 11 seats. UKIP are down one seat. That's, that, that makes up the difference. The Conservatives gained 11 from Labour and one from UKIP. And the result um, is that Dudley now is controlled by the Conservatives. It was no overall control beforehand. We can go to Nuneaton, also in the West Midlands. This was 66% leave during the Brexit referendum. Here, the Conservatives have gained nine seats from labor again this is now a tory council which is a change from being no overall control in 2016 and we can go to wolverhampton again in the west midlands this was 63 percent leave um, and here the conservatives have gained five seats from labor this is still a labor hold um, but you can see it's moving in very much the wrong direction and in sandwell um, again, this is still a Labour hold, but the Labour Party have lost nine seats to the Conservatives. Um, so there, you can see. I mean, many councils falling to the Conservatives. The councils which haven't are looking pretty, pretty vulnerable. Um, Aaron, I know you've been sort of working a lot on the West Midlands recently. This is, I mean, incredibly worrying for for Labour, right? And especially, I suppose, that they do still have. Obviously, they had a pretty poor election in 2019 in the West Midlands, but they could go. I mean, they they could go backwards right it's not inconceivable they could lose quite a few more
1: they could go backwards big time michael uh wolverhampton you've got pat mcfadden in one of the wolverhampton seats very small majority i think less than 2000 i mean he's going to go that's the that's the that's the that's the trend here right he's in the shadow cabinet he's going to go um you've got walsall i think it's walsall south uh, valerie vaz also one of the walsall seats she's going to go she's going to lose you've got zara sultana in coventry looking really exposed. And by the way, she, she can still win that because there's a, there's going to be a big ground campaign in a general election. So it may be the left floods into three or four seats to, to help certain people. But that area generally is major problems. Sandwell, people can just check it out on Wikipedia or, or wherever. I think it's 70 councillors. Uh, it was entirely, there were no Tory councillors on the council un, until today. Nine uh, council, w- nine wards were contested. All nine were won by the Tories. And somebody I know in the West Midlands, a good source, said to me a week ago, they said Sandwell, right now, this is as like this is as Labour as any council in the country. They said Sandwell will be the next stoke. In five to ten years, it will be in no overall control. We will lose it. And we're gonna lose almost all the West Midlands except for a few seats in central Birmingham, which is a really astonishing thing to say. You know, Labour can lose another five easily, easily five, six more seats in the West Midlands. That's just one part of the country easily uh so this is really really big we're not just talking about council seats here we're talking also about members of parliament and increasingly who they're going to be relying on in those big big seats uh in, uh in 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 birmingham it's primarily bame voters it's primarily low-income brown and black voters the very people they take for granted so you know before you know it all it's going to take is uh birmingham people's party or something like that and they're going to lose those seats too So you're losing votes to your right, to your left. We've seen that elsewhere. We're going to talk about that, I'm sure, during the course of the show with the Greens. I don't think the Lib Dems are left, but they've lost Lib Dem council seats, for instance, in places like Sunderland. This is existential for Labour. This is really existential. Labour, I think Labour are headed for 150 seats in the next general election on this trajectory, but it could be be much worse than that.
0: I think you're absolutely right that Sandwell was totally um, Labour dominated and has now I mean obviously lost a bunch of seats to the Conservatives according to election maps there were not just nine seats up for grabs there were 27 seats up for grabs of which nine went from Labour to Conservatives so obviously the direction is all in, in one direction My apologies. I Labour, Labour held um, some, some My apologies. can I correct that then there was the yes. yeah, it was the nine, it was the nine, it was the, well, it was the nine that
1: I was informed of. Also important to say that it wasn't all it wasn't all Labour, there were some independents and there were some that hadn't been filled in yet. But there were no there were no conservatives until today. And there's now nine conservatives. So um not good. Does this sound well great? Yeah, exactly. This is uh, this is pretty extraordinary.
0: We can also look at Essex. So it was a bad night for Labour in Essex. Um, So we're in Harlow now, um, 68% leave. Um, There were 13 seats up for grabs. Um, Seven of them went from Labour to the Conservatives. Um, So uh, it it is now um, Conservatives have 20 seats and Labour have 13 um, before it was the other way around. Um, So that has flipped from Labour to Conservative and in Furuk, um, the Conservatives have, have held that seat; they had it already, but they had a very good night. So six seats went from UKIP straight to the Conservatives. Labour did hold um, four seats um, in that particular election. I mean, also go to Oldham. Um, so this is in the northwest. So I mean, generally the northwest is much less of a wipeout for the Labour Party. in Greater Manchester, but again, the direction of travel not good. Um, so Labour have lost six councillors in Oldham, the Conservatives have gained four and a local, uh, local candidates have gained two. The, the other part of the story is, is in cities. So in cities, um, of course, that is now um, Labour's big strongholds. In Gateshead, um, there were no changes. Um. So from 2016, which is generally thought to have been quite a good election for the Labour Party, there have been no changes whatsoever. And it's a Labour hold Um, in Sunderland. It's still a strong Labour hold, but it wasn't so good. <laughs> uh, Labour have lost nine seats there. Six um, have gone to the Conservatives. Four have gone to the Lib Dems, although the Greens have lost one as well. Sheffield is very interesting, though. So this is the phenomenon Aaron was talking about in terms of some um, Labour seats going to parties to their left. Um, so Sheffield was controlled, um, by the Labour Party after today's elections or yesterday's elections. Apologies. Um, it is now in no overall control. So Labour lost eight councillors on Sheffield Council. The Lib Dems gained three. The Greens gained five and the Conservatives gained one. Um, so this could be. I mean, I think Sheffield's actually super, super interesting, Aaron, because uh, most of what we've seen um, in in these elections is seats basically going from Labour to Tories. It's uh, pressure from their right, if you want to put it like that. I think, to be honest, if they were economically more left wing, you could probably win back some of those voters. But talking about this traditionally, if it's voters going from Labour to the Tories, that's pressure from their right. What you're seeing in in Sheffield is them losing voters to their left flank as well. So the Greens picking up five five seats. That's fairly significant, isn't it? And that could cause problems in a general election when you've got first-past-opposed and when uh, a split left vote can mean um, a, a conservative gain. How worried do you think they should be about Sheffield?
1: I think actually that that, that that phenomenon goes well beyond Sheffield. I think they should be worried about Sheffield. Big student population historically, you know, elected sort of progressive liberal Democrats like Nick Clegg. But if you look at somewhere like Oldham, you know, we just talking about Oldham Council, you know, Jim McMahon is the MP there, 11,000 majority. But the Tories are they're, they're second, 11,000. You take in the Brexit party vote, let's say all of a sudden that majority becomes five, 6,000. You start to lose a couple of thousand votes to the Greens and the Dems who've got very low uh, got very low numbers in Oldham at the last election, because of course it was this, you know, progressive alliance people were sort of voting for the party that was most likely to win or whatever. That's gone out the window. And all of a sudden, someone like Oldham looks like a real marginal. And so, yeah, of course, let's talk about the council's but the, the the greens the greens getting four five thousand votes in some of these places even outside the major metropolitan areas like Sheffield uh, it, it, that could be a that is that that is not that could be that is a major issue for Labour we saw inklings of that in the two thousand and fifteen general election uh, the Greens got I think they got they got a very large number of votes I think the best part of a million votes. And actually, the the green vote was bigger than the the margin between the Tories and the Labour Party in about 15, 16 seats. You know, I think it's going to be a lot more than that come the next general election. Uh, And particularly, the further right that Labour go, the worse that's going to be. So huge problems. And again, this just never figured in the Starmer analysis. We just need to focus on these people in the red wall and drink beer and, and get flags out right but that that was their analysis it never it never accounted for the, the fact that you're not just going to lose votes to your you're not just going to have a lower turnout because people aren't really enthused by you you're going to lose votes to your right and to your left sheffield i think is the is the is the outstanding example of that but i think it's going to grow as a phenomenon
0: i mean obviously we it might even be an example in in yesterday's elections but we just haven't got the results like yeah it will be yeah. very interesting to see what 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 the london results are for example labour is saying oh we're disappointed because too many people have voted someone else first choice uh, so it's sort of guilting the voters again um, to round off our analysis of the English elections we can show you I think as far as I know this is the only council which we have confirmed which has gone from the Conservatives um, away from the Conservatives in this case only to no overall control this is Cambridgeshire this is uh, a story where the Lib Dems have, have mainly gained. So the Conservatives are down eight seats in Cambridgeshire. The Lib Dems are up five, Labour are up two, and an independent is up one. Cambridge City, 74% remain. So we wouldn't expect the the Tories to be making any gains there. I mean, The the city centre already was only Labour and the Lib Dems. It's in South Cambridgeshire. um, You can see where the Lib Dems have made gains from the Labour Party. And then it's in the city centre where the Labour have made a couple of gains from the Lib Dems. South Cambridgeshire was 60% remains. This is uh, presumably a story of of more affluent Southern voters and potentially young people moving out of the city centre because they're struggling to to afford it anymore. Um so but you know some signs that potentially you could see problems for the tories in areas like this but at the moment on tonight's or last night's results they're going to be very very happy. Um let's go to a couple more comments before we go to uh sort of rounding up a few more of the I mean, to be honest, this show is weighted towards terrible analysis. We're we're not showing you much good analysis tonight. We're hopefully giving you that. We're going to go through some real howlers in a moment. Let's go straight on to our next story. There isn't a first rule of politics, but if there were one, it should probably be that in no circumstances should you tell voters that they'll be better off if they vote for the other guys. However, as Labour's dreadful results came in after the Hartlepool by election, the Shadow Secretary of State for Transport did just that. It's a cringe inducing moment. Let's take a look.
7: The reason why I support Keir Starmer is because he is serious, he's professional, uh, and he will earn us the right to be heard. And that's what he's done in this campaign. But listen, it's a long journey. You know, the 2019 elections were not good elections for us. We knew it would take time to recover and rebuild and rebuild that trust. Uh, And we're in the very early stages of that, and it will take time. You say he's earned you the right right to be heard,
3: but clearly... The voters of Hartlepool have not liked what they've heard from the Labour Party. They appear to, and you've virtually conceded, uh, that they have voted for the Conservatives here.
7: So something wrong with Labour's either the message or the messenger. But from a Hartlepool perspective, the Tory uh, offer uh, was compelling. Uh, Listen, look at the Red Wall seats surrounding you. Look at the investment in the towns fund, the restoring your railways fund, uh, the free ports, uh, and look what Tory MPs do when you elect them, and the Tories funnel money towards them. And it's almost like a no-risk option. Listen, this by-election was never about changing the government; it was never about changing the prime minister. But it was a chance for people in Hartlepool to realise investment that for 11 years under the Tories they have been denied, and it's clear that they've taken that choice. <laughs>
0: I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to give a critique of pork barrel politics. Pork barrel politics is the idea that central government hands out investment and cash for political gain. So the the critique of Boris Johnson is he is investing particularly in those towns which he wants the conservatives to win or particularly handing out cash where there are either conservative mayors or conservative MPs because he thinks that will help them stay in power. I can see what he's trying to do. But on the face of it, I mean how that came across is you've got a shadow minister for the Labour Party saying if you vote Tory, in a so-called Red Wall area, in somewhere like Hartlepool or a neighbouring um, region, you will be richer. You will be better off. You will get more investment, right? He's telling you to vote Tory. Is that, what does he have to say about the Labour Party? Keir Starmer's is serious and professional, but the Tories, they'll bring about investment into your town. But he even says, look at, look at the Tories in, in nearby towns, right? They're bringing in the money. It's a no-risk thing to do. He's He's basically a salesman for the Conservative Party. His point there is that this is a by-election in a general election we will have a very different message. One, it doesn't really work like that. If people remember, oh, the Tories bring investment, if you're reinforcing the Tories bring investment, they're not going to say, oh, in this general election, maybe on a net level, if we vote Labour, that would give us more investment. No, that, that that's not how people think. And I suppose more immediately than that. Hartlepool isn't going to be the only by-election in in the Northeast in the coming weeks and months. There's very likely to be one in West Yorkshire in Batley and Spen, because there a Labour MP is very likely, unless it's unless it's a really catastrophic night for, for Labour, um, will have been elected as the mayor of West Yorkshire. And she said she'll stand down um, as an MP if that happens. It's going to be a by-election in a very nearby place. And you've got Labour frontbenchers saying, Oh, to be honest. If you live in the north of England and you're a Brexit voting place, probably in your best interest to vote for the Conservatives. Maybe think about voting for us, though, because we're serious and professional. Aaron, these people are supposed to be professionals. You know, I mean, obviously, they say we are professional. (laughs) It's a bit like we're saying we have values, we are professional. Everything they do exudes the opposite of professionalism, that you're a Labour politician essentially telling people you'll be better off if you vote Tory.
1: Well, it's not when Jeremy Corbyn and and Labour in 2017 increased their share of the vote by 9.5%. People are saying he's not electable. What the, an election just happened, and Labour increased its share of the vote by by the most it's ever done since 1945. I mean, you, you can't say it's unelectable. You might not say they did enough to win or whatever, but th- there was an election again. Electable is a electable isn't like a child isn't born electable, like with blue eyes or that dark hair. You know, it's not. It's not like a. It's not a. It's not an adjective to describe like a human characteristics. I mean, he's tall, or you know, they have a deep voice. Electable is a reflection of how you do in elections. Crazy idea, I know. Uh, by the way, I'm battling in spend, uh, Michael. There's a, there's a, there's a Labour majority of around 3,000 there. I personally think that's as good as gone. If, if big if, Tracy uh, Brabin no longer is going to be the MP there. And guess what? Keir Starmer, Sir Keir, Rodney Starmer, yuplonka has already picked his candidate. They've already, lots have already selected their candidate. It's somebody who's not from the area and has a big flash I think it's Mercedes, so I'm sure that's going to go down really well, and I'm sure it'll be just as great a result as Paul Williams was in Hartlepool. Congratulations! The professionals are back. The grown-ups are running the Labour Party all over again.
0: I want to um, focus on on what Jim McMahon said there, or, or what it made me think of actually, because what you saw there was a Labour politician, a Labour front frontbencher, essentially making excuses for why the Labour Party lost. And in making those excuses said essentially, well, the Conservatives are very good and we're not very good. And this is what we've seen in the run up to this election as well. I mean, I, I think probably the, the reasons they've lost this election are, um, are more to do with a longer term story um, that involves essentially Brexit. Also, you know two leaderships who weren't particularly popular. Um, Keir Starmer, it seems evidently from the polling less so than the previous one, or not from the polling, from the results. But this story that they've told, because they're more concerned with making excuses for the leadership and attacking the left, when they're asked, why are you polling poorly? They don't say, look, we're not interested in the polls. What we're interested in is selling our very concrete vision and saying what we're going to do is invest in in a green industrial revolution, et cetera, et cetera, so we actually remember what they stand for. No, they say, oh, the reason we're polling um, poorly is because actually the Conservatives have had a really good pandemic. Um, They're doing a really great vaccine roll out. And also the Labour Party is really shit. Um, Labour Party has no connection to ordinary people. Um, we have all of these extremist members. Um, so yeah, the, the reason the Tories are doing really well is because they're great and we're shit. Right? It, it's the opposite of what you should do as a politician. Because also, it's not even honest. I mean, they say, oh, the reason we're doing bad is because the pandemic helps the Conservatives. The pandemic helps the Conservatives because even though they've made error after error after error, which led to one of the highest death tolls in the world, you didn't make it stick because you were too busy attacking people in your own party. And now when you're not polling very well, you're saying, oh, actually, no, the Tories, the Tories are great. Um, Vaccine rollout. Brilliant. We're shit. Right. It's not a way to win an election. And um, I want to show you how this reflects some political analysis, which was in The Simpsons. Um, which when it comes to Donald Trump, when it comes to so many things, they do the best political analysis. And all of this reminds me of this old gag in The Simpsons about the US Democrats. So we can get this up. This is a cartoon of the Democratic Convention. And the banners are, we hate life and ourselves. We can't govern. Now, I can't think of a better parody of Keir Starmer's Labour at this point in time. You ask them, what's your vision? What do you offer? Oh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to change ourselves. We're going to change the Labour Party because no one likes us. And so so how are you going to beat the other guys? Oh, it's going to be really hard to beat the other guys because actually they're doing really well right? That, that's, that's literally the Labour Party strategy at this point in time. Why vote for us? I don't know, because they're great and we're shit. It doesn't work.
1: Owen said it on a great show, by the way, that you guys did on uh, Wednesday. Owen said it. You know, basically we're looking at what would Labor, the Labour Party have looked like if, if, if Liz Kendall was the leader? We're looking at it. This is the present leadership and the people at the top of the Labour Party running things that select Paul Williams of all people to be the candidate in Hartlepool, these are the people that, you know, should have gone to Change UK or back Liz Kendall in, in, in the 2015 uh, leadership election. They, they they aren't even on the soft left. They aren't even on the centre. They're, kind of, they're kind of just right wing idiots. They're very bad at politics. Incredibly bad at politics. You know, the whole thing of don't think of an elephant. What do you think of? Of course, you think of an elephant. What has Keir Starmer done for the last year? Talk about how incompetent Labour are, how bad the last leader was and how they're, you know, they're useless and how they're not listening to people. What was the message coming out from all of their people on the media this morning? The exact same thing. They are doing the complete opposite of what they should be doing if they actually want to win elections. If they actually want to improve their results, the, the complete opposite. So we have we have a few options here, and I, I, you know I think we have to look at the most plausible explanation. One is that Keir Starmer is honestly a plant from the state to destroy the Labour Party. He's doing so poorly. I don't even even if even if the British states we need to destroy the Labour Party, send somebody in. Even this would exceed all expectations, right? I don't think that's true. So let's discard that. They are listening to the best available data and analysis, and this is and that's telling them what to do. I, I don't believe that because you wouldn't have picked Paul Williams as a candidate in a seat which re- voted 70% leave. So the, the only conclusion is, Michael, we're dealing with people who are leading a political party with more than 200 MPs, which did have, until quite recently, half a million members. I'm sure it will continue to fall precipitously, which haven't got a clue. Which have not got a clue. I don't know what street you live in, our viewers right now. What you, what road you live on? There'll be some, there'll probably be somebody within about a hundred metres of you who could do a better job of leading the Labour Party than Keir Starmer right now. I really believe that. I really, really, really believe that. Very difficult job leading the opposition, but this calibre of of leadership. Wow, we are looking at a really substandard group of people running this show. Terrible, and people really laid it on thick with Corbyn, but. You never saw the pub scene that we saw in Bristol. You never saw him go to churches where, which were anti-LGBT. Basic, basic, basic risk management. And now you're seeing stuff like this. Basic communications errors, effectively, where you're saying the absolute worst thing you can in the response to possibly the worst set of election results in, in Labour Party history over one night. I just think they're incompetent. They shouldn't even be in politics. Forget running the Labour Party. Keir Starmer shouldn't be an MP. He shouldn't be a politician. He should have stayed in law. Ed Miliband, what did you do by saying to Keir Starmer, please have this safe seat in central London, you should be an MP. Why did you do that?
0: <laughs> uh, your analysis there leads on um, very well to a couple of questions we've got. So Tom Ackland tweets on the hashtag Tisky Sour. Do you think Keir Starmer should resign? Seriously, what do you think would happen and could it? And very much related. Chris Hill with 30 quid asks, okay, if the Labour Party is still part of the solution, what can be done to get rid of Starmer and his crowd? So, I suppose, you know, in summary, should Keir Starmer resign and how would one make that happen?
1: I think somebody that wins the leadership deserves a fair crack of the whip. So I never thought I would say that he should resign before a general election. However, I can I can see why a certain number of Labour MPs would call on him now to resign, because the reality is a lot of them are going to lose their seats. So that that's down to them As as a pundit watching this. I think if people want Labour to not lose lots of seats for the next election, yes, they should probably call on Keir Hump, Starmer to resign. And by the way, I don't think this is going to turn. He's not. He's not going to turn it around. Look at the response to all this over the last twenty four hours. This morning, the the is, uh, He's surrounded by delusional sycophants. His chief political adviser, Jenny Chapman, was at the counter for this thing. She was organising a, a part. You know, a, a cabinet reshuffle at at five am on the phone. Well, Paul Williams is having a, a breakdown and leaving the leaving the event, his political career is completely ruined after she told him to run for this thing. They wanted an ally thinking this was a safe seat. This is like a cartoon comedy. This is like the Teletubbies. You're meant to be taking this seriously. So I could see why somebody looks at all that and goes, come on, Keir, for you, for the Labour Party, for your own mental well-being, let's do self-care. Let's see you leave. Close the door on your way out. I get that. At the same time, it, it's fair to say if Labour lose Batley and Spen he has to go yes if Labour lose that he has to go because realistically you're looking at 100 150 seats in the next election he I think that has to be a resignation question equally he could win that then and that in, that enforces him and that gives him some momentum and and he would deserve it so I think for me Batley and Spen is the one where you say he, he should resign or not
0: mm. I mean I definitely think it's too early to call for him to resign I, I do think you know it's a good precedent that you should get a decent amount of time after being democratically elected by the party membership, that you know, you should, you should be given some time to work on that. Um, I mean, again, I have no real confidence it's going to change course, but at the same time, I also think if there were to be a leadership challenge mounted, it could potentially energize him in the same way that it energized Jeremy Corbyn. Although, I mean, in the case of Jeremy Corbyn, it energised someone who was then able to put forward their positive vision. Keir Starmer, that would probably just energise him to say, oh, um, the the problem I have is that the left have been too aggressive. I mean, you know, I, I think that could potentially feed into a narrative he'd like. I, I don't think it's going to happen in the near future, but w- within a year or so, that will be very much an open question. What we need is to have ready-made left-wing MPs who could take on that mantle. The other question there is, do we have them yet or would it be someone else from from the right of the Labour Party that managed to take over. And there are a couple more questions which I am going to save for later and go straight to our next section. Peter Mandelson is an arch-Blairite, an advisor to Keir Starmer, and was a key backer of a second EU referendum. In the wake of Labour's catastrophic defeat in Hartlepool, Mandelson was invited onto Radio 4's Today programme to give his post Mortem. Now, this was one of the most shameless examples of motivated reasoning I think I've heard this year. Let's take a listen.
4: Let me just say this about the by-election, because I think it needs uh, a saying. It was a very strange by-election like no other I have been in. I mean, actually, the reasons for the defeat, if I really had to boil them down to, uh, to two things, I would say they were two C's, Covid and Corbyn. With a, bit of, uh, uh, with a bit of Brexit, previous Brexit party voters backing the man, uh, uh, Boris Johnson, uh, who delivered them Brexit, and also promises of a large dollop of Tory government money thrown in uh, for, uh, for good measure. And all this as a whole turned out to be too heady a cocktail for Labour's campaign to take on
0: he's a smart guy. Peter Mandelson is a clever guy. He's gone on the radio. He advises Keir Starmer. He's very close to him. And he's saying, I have to go on and blame something other than Keir Starmer. He also, which wasn't mentioned in the interview, I think it probably should have been, sat on the board of the People's Vote campaign. Right, So he was one of the main pushers of a second referendum. And I think actually one of the key people trying to push that on the Labour Party to undermine Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. He can't blame Brexit. So he has to blame other things. It's not Starmer's fault. It's not the fault of Brexit problem he says covid and Corbin. Now, I mean there's a couple of reasons it's completely stupid. So the COVID one actually let's let's start with because that's exactly the same line which is explicitly pushed by, by Keir Starmer. Normally they try and say Corbin in slightly hushed tones because they think it's going to be you know um gonna gonna seem a bit un- uncouth to, to say it outright. They normally sort of imply it. We had a terrible election. COVID though they, they do bring up all the time and um, why this is stupid is because you can't say, of course, we're going to lose uh, election because of COVID. Because you, could, you can just as easily make the opposite argument, right? Joe Biden didn't say, oh, of course we were going to lose because COVID. No, he said, we're going to win because t- Donald Trump has dealt with COVID terribly. Now, the vaccine rollout has gone very well. But before that vaccine rollout, there were a series of decisions which were made by the Prime Minister, which killed people's grannies, right, which which, which led to the deaths of many people in many people's families, who were friends of friends, etc. Lots of people know people who lost their lives in the second wave of coronavirus, and they lost their lives because of the terrible decisions, inexcusable decisions made by Boris Johnson. Now, the reason people associate Boris Johnson with, with vaccines and the furlough, instead of associating him with tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths is because Keir Starmer has done such a poor job in opposition of holding him to account, right? You can't just say, oh, of course it was going to go badly because of COVID. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not a good argument. Now, the second he's saying, oh, as well as COVID, the problem was Corbyn. The, the obvious reason this is ridiculous is because they have gone backwards since Corbyn was leader. People, uh, they really expect us to believe that there were some voters who voted for Labour under Corbyn who have now switched to the Conservatives because they don't like Corbyn. Because of the shadow of corbyn it doesn't make any sense whatsoever i know this isn't going to be a surprise to you but i do think it is worth going through those results right 2017 labor was led by corbyn they supported brexit in this election they they thought we should respect the the result of that election labor got 52 percent of the vote an absolute majority of the vote in 2019, Labour, again, was led by Jeremy Corbyn. This time around, they opposed Brexit. They wanted a people's vote, a second referendum, that thing that Peter Mandelson was campaigning so vigorously for. Then they got 37.7%, so a significant drop from, from the previous election, 14.8 percentage points down from the previous election, but enough to win. In 2021, Labour is no longer led by Jeremy Corbyn, and it's led by the architect of Labour's turn to remain. In this election, Labour gets 28.7% of the vote. So down nine points from 2019. Still after this, there is no way that you can say, ah, oh, the reason we, we did really badly in 2021 was because of Corbyn and COVID when it's so clearly not Corbyn and it so clearly is Brexit, right? It's, it's shameless to give. Um, Nick Robinson, some credit. Um, he did push um Peter Mandelson on this issue of of the Brexit question. Let's see where the conversation went next.
4: The problem with this analysis. let me just put it to you this way, is that both you yeah. and John McDonnell, appear to be in denial about Brexit. Hartlepool voted for. Let me let me just finish the no, thought if I could. Hartlepool, no, 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 no. Hartlepool voted seventy no, percent, no, no. and the Labour Party then found a Remainer, somebody who said Brexit would be a disaster. You put him up as your candidate. You effectively said to the electorate of Hartlepool, "You're all idiots. You were all taken in. You made a mistake. No. Now change your mind." You're wrong to obsess about Brexit. Uh, I I I accept. Uh, and it's worthy of further examination the extent to which uh, Brexit is affecting uh, and overlaying social and cultural attitudes uh, and voting behaviour over normal economic and class divisions within our society. It is quite possible that, as a result of Brexit, people are learning new habits of voting you know in in northern England uh, and elsewhere, but believe it or not, not on one door that I knocked did a single voter mention Brexit uh, to me. The one, they, the one thing they did raise with me, however, uh, was, was Jeremy Corbyn. He is still casting a very dark cloud uh, over Labour. Uh, Labour voters are not letting this off lightly. He still gets them going uh, on, the, on the doorstep. I mean, one person said to me, sort yourselves out, sort yourselves out. You picked the wrong brother and you ended up with Corbyn. So that's goodbye to you. When you've sorted yourselves out, we'll look at you again. Uh, And that is what the Labour Party has got to do.
0: There's no way for me to prove that that anecdote from Peter Mandelson is false. Right. I didn't knock on I didn't knock on any doors, actually, in Hartlepool. I didn't go up to Hartlepool. So, So Peter Mandelson has knocked on more doors than I have. And he's saying not a single person mentioned Brexit. But loads of people mentioned Jeremy Corbyn and also one particular person had, had had the exact same obsession as Peter Mandelson which was that in 2010, 11 years ago, the person who should have won the leadership election was David Miliband instead of Ed Miliband. So essentially, just like Peter Mandelson, they're blaming essentially the trade unions in the 2010 Electoral College for what's going on now. Now, you can make your own mind up if that's credible. As I say, I've got no way of knowing if that happened to be true. It's just a very convenient reality for, for Peter Mandelson to, to speak about. One person who did knock on a lot of doors, though, and doesn't agree with Peter Mandelson that all voters could talk about was Jeremy Corbyn, potentially the the Electoral College in 2010, was the candidate himself, Paul Williams. So awkwardly for Peter Mandelson, during the campaign, Williams told Sky, nobody has mentioned Jeremy Corbyn to me during this election so far. People are looking to the future. People can see the Labour Party is under new management with new leaders nationally. So the candidate, presumably knocking on more doors than anyone. No one's mentioned Jeremy Corbyn to him. It just so happens that when Peter Mandelson knocks on the doors, all people can talk about is Jeremy Corbyn. No one mentions Brexit, which just so happens is the issue where Peter Mandelson is very, very, very implicated in the the votes that that Labour is losing in that constituency. But they all mention just those issues, which Peter Mandelson would love to bring up on the Today programme on radio. 4. for me, as I say, I don't have proof, but it it makes me suspicious. I'm not sure it stacks up. I hate those weasel words as well you say the problem isn't brexit but it might have given people new voting habits now, how did they get those new voting habits, right? Because exactly. there was a Brexit referendum. And after that referendum, Labour got 52% of the vote. They massively increased their vote share. That was after the referendum. They got new voting habits because the Labour Party, under pressure from people like Peter Mandelson, adopted a position to reverse the referendum result, right? Yeah. So, so you can't say, oh, it's just Brexit that gave them new habits. No, it was the People's Vote campaign that gave them new voting habits. And the People's Vote campaign was, oh, by the way, run by you. This has been an immense show. And I,
1: I, I've i been thinking over the last couple of days, you know, come the next general election, I think Tisky Sour is going to be bigger than news night. Uh, and to make that happen, I really want to implore people to go to nevaronmedia.com forward slash support. I know that's Michael's job. I know who he always says it, but because it's his show, it's his baby along with producer Fox. I, I don't, you know, he's he's a humble guy. This, I think, can be the go-to politics show. Come the next general election, of course, politics goes beyond general elections, but that's a big ambition. Help us do that. Go to Navarramedia.com forward slash support. Thank you, Michael. Sorry to butt in.
0: You were very welcome to buck in the, butt in there. Um, I, I endorse everything you said there. Um, thank you very much. For now, we are going to sign out. Thank you so much for watching tonight's show, for your super chats, for your regular regular donations, and for your tweets on the hashtag TiskySour. We do really appreciate it all. Um for now you've been watching Tiski Sour on Navara Media. Good night. This broadcast is brought to you by Navara Media. Go to slash support